Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, my name's Stu. Um, I'm the executive pastor here at the Vineyard. I'm still trying to get used to saying that word, um, but it's great to see you. You're so welcome. Um, can I let you in on a bit of a secret? What I'm about to do for the next 25, 30 minutes or so, um, it's not the point. It's really important, like I want to give my life to doing this kind of thing, but what I'm going to do is I open up the Bible as I talk, as I share some thoughts. It's important, but it's really not the point. This is not the main event. I don't think it's even the main event of this morning, actually, because we are the people of God here to come together to worship him. But actually, it's definitely not the main event of our weeks. Actually, our job as Andy and as I and James and Chris and Laura, Mark and Yvette, get up here and teach and open up the scriptures and share stories, um, our job isn't to do a good talk. It's not our job to fill your heads with information or nice one-liners. It's important, but it's not the point. The point is for us to start a conversation with you and release you from this place so that you're able to go and to take on skin and flesh and bones around what we're talking about, to put what we're saying into practice in your workplaces, in your schools, in your universities, in your streets. Our job is to equip you, the saints, as Paul puts it, for the work of ministry. And as we open up this text and as we talk, um, we do think that we are getting a conversation started that will help you as you put this stuff into practice. But there's one environment in our community that helps bridge this gap between this conversation and you putting it into practice, and that is tribes. Um, tribes are the spaces where we move away from rows and we get into circles, we gather in homes, we share meals together, we laugh together, we cry together, we have a lot of laughs, but it is also a space for us to be able to wrestle through this conversation, to not allow this stuff just to remain as ideas or good thinking, but actually allow us to think through what is God saying to us and maybe most importantly, how can we put it into practice? So can I really encourage you? This week is a tribe week, so please do sign up if you haven't done so already. Just jump onto our website, laggingvalleyvineyard.com, put a forward slash after it, and click in tribes. That would be awesome. On January 21st, 1961, it was freezing in Washington, D.C. The streets were covered in snow, and despite that, a man wearing no coat and no hat stood at a lectern on the steps of the Capitol building, and he began to speak. For three months, night and day, John F. Kennedy's team had been hard at work pulling together passages of scripture, policy documents, and historical texts like the Gettysburg Address. The process of coming up with an inauguration address was painstaking. It was deliberate, it was intentional, it was crafted. There were edits and there were re-edits. Nothing would be left to chance because everybody would be watching. And over 14 minutes, JFK delivered a speech that has gone down in American history as one of the most significant addresses given to that nation. Because after months of electioneering, there was a moment for the nation to come together, an opportunity for the president to be able to paint a picture of the future. And for JFK, his inauguration address wasn't a chance to be able to say, hey, look what I've done as I've won an election. But actually, on day one of his presidency, he looked out to this huge crowd and invited them to join him, to get to work, 
JFK painted a picture of a future that was full of possibility, and he invited this nation to join with him to see this future made known amongst them. The best inauguration speeches are invitations. Invitations to join a leader in drawing the dreams of the future into the reality of the present. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country, he said. The invitation is always participation. And after wrestling with the evil one for 40 days in the wilderness, Jesus of Nazareth, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to his hometown. And he did what he always did on the Sabbath. He went to the synagogue, yet this Sabbath was different because it was inauguration day. Nothing would be left to chance. Everything that took place on that Sabbath was deliberate, it was intentional, and it was crafted. At the time for the reading of the scriptures, Jesus would have got out of his seat, and he was just about to launch his public ministry. And so he went to the place where the scrolls of the Hebrew scriptures were kept, and he pulled out the one from the prophet Isaiah. There would be no chapters, there would be no verses, so it would have taken a really, really long time to get to his inaugural address. Anticipation would have been building. Everybody was watching, and then Jesus began to speak. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The best inauguration speeches are invitations. Invitations to join the leader in drawing the dreams of the future into the reality of the present. The invitation is participation. Last week, we kicked off our series called Beginnings. We're spending three weeks unpacking Isaiah chapter 61 together. It's such an important piece of scripture for us as a community, but it's also the text that Jesus used right at the beginning of his ministry. Right at the beginning, these words framed all that Jesus was to go and to do. And these words are to frame all that we as his body on earth are to do today. So if you weren't with us last Sunday, can I just say, just get on our website, download the podcast, make some food, go for a run, like just listen to it for 30 minutes. Andy's teaching was excellent last Sunday and it was so helpful for him to unpack the first three verses and just to highlight that in these texts that we knew so well, he brought some real clarity to this as we got to see both the character and the activity of God. We get to see what God is like. His heart is full of love and care. He sends Christ and now he sends us to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, release for prisoners, and to proclaim the year of God's lavish favor. But we also got to see what God is doing in the world. He's displaying his splendor and his goodness, and yet he's doing it in a way that can feel sort of jarring to us at times. Because he's choosing to display his splendor through the broken, through the hurting, through those previously bound up people, if we're to be honest, like you and me. Those who've experienced an exchange from where they were once bound up to they becoming oaks of righteousness, displaying the God's goodness for all to see. And as Jesus rolled back the scroll and handed it to the attendant on that Sabbath day, and took up his seat in the synagogue. Everybody would have been watching. 
everybody's eyes were fixed on him. And so he looked up and he said to everybody listening, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was the inauguration address. This was the beginning. And this beginning needs to be continued by us. And the question that I want to unpack today is, well, how? How are we to do this? How are we as the body of Christ to continue what Jesus began in that synagogue? And there's two ways, I think, that we can outwork this way of Jesus. And it is living by living as prophets and also living as priests. If you've got a Bible, um, turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 61. It's in five, uh, page 511 if you are using the church Bibles. Isaiah 61 verse 4 says this. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks and foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. It's really important to remember that Isaiah the prophet was writing these words in a particular time and in a particular context. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. He's prophesying over the nation of Israel and he's doing so with a particular backdrop. Throughout the book of Isaiah, we see him prophesying about two invasions that are going to take place. Firstly, by a people group called the Assyrians, and then secondly, by another people group called the Babylonians. And actually, about just over 100 years after Isaiah's prophecy, the Babylonians crash into Jerusalem. They leave the place in absolute ruins. Its people are taken away, and the city and the temple of Jerusalem are left shattered. And yet whenever it came to the social fabric of this nation, it was a bit of a mess. People had just turned away from God. They were living unjust and unholy lives. And yet despite the invasion, despite the destruction, and despite all the mess that was kind of creeping into the nation, Isaiah prophesies even beyond that to a time whenever a servant is going to rise up, when God is going to do a new thing. And through this suffering servant, He is going to bring about all that God has promised and he is going to restore the city of Jerusalem. And this servant, of course, is Jesus. Jesus who begins an age of rebuilding, of restoration and renewal as we read in Isaiah 61. He begins an age that will find its unending conclusion in a future city. Whenever new heavens and new earth are going to come together and God's dwelling place is going to be with man. Let me put it to you like this. The same one who sat down on his seat in the synagogue and said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing is exactly the same one who has sat on a throne and is declaring over the entire cosmos, behold, I am making all things new. Jesus The servant that Isaiah was prophesying about centuries before began God's building and restoration and renewing project. And we as his body are to continue it. Now, in three weeks time, 
We're going to be starting a brand new series on the book of Nehemiah, one of my favorite texts in the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this story of this leader rebuilding, actually rebuilding the ruins of Jerusalem. And we're going to look at really practically what it means for us to be God's rebuilders, what it looks like for us to participate in his rebuilding project today. So we're going to get really practical down the line. So today I want to talk kind of big picture, if that's all right with you guys, because our task is to be rebuilders, renewers, and restorers. And these words are really interesting for me because they give us an insight into the way of God. It's not God's way just to rip things up and to start from scratch whenever things are broken, whenever things are fractured, whenever things have fallen. Actually, God takes what is existing, what is already there, and he breathes new life into them. God works in full circles. And for us to get our heads around God's rebuilding, renewing, and restoring project, it's helpful for us to begin right at the start of our story. Genesis, to a garden, to a garden temple with a tree of life right at the heart of it. Because in the garden, we see the original design and intention of God. We see intimacy. We see Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God himself in perfect, harmonious relationship. We see dignity. There's no sense of shame that Adam and Eve feel at all about who they are. They're just letting everything sort of hang out. Um, There's a real sense of purpose. Nick got a laugh eventually there. Um, There's purpose. They have this incredible job of naming everything in creation. They were workers. There was worship as they celebrated God's goodness. There was abundance Eden was just teeming with beauty and abundance. There was holiness. Adam and Eve knew at the start exactly who they were. They knew the boundaries. They knew where to go and where not to go. And they were able to live holy lives. And there was beauty. Eden was a beautiful place. Each of these realities were present in the Garden of Eden. And yet a sin and darkness and death and injustice enter into the world. There's this fracturing of the original design of God. And we could totally expect God to be like, well, hey, stuff that. That's completely over. Let's do a do-over and start again. But he doesn't do that. Why? Because God works in full circles. At the end of our story, we are awaiting a time of complete rebuilding, complete restoration and renewal. We're looking ahead to a new city, a garden city with a tree of life right in the middle of it. Because in the garden city, the original design and intention of God will go full circle. Because in this future city, we're going to see intimacy. God's dwelling place is going to be with man. There's going to be no need for a temple. We're going to be with him forever. There is dignity. The children of God will know exactly who they are. And there'll be nothing to separate them from God or each other. As all nations, all tribes, all tongues are going to come together in perfect unity. There will be purpose. Let me into a little secret for you. See, whenever we get to the future, you will be working. But it's not going to be like toil, It's not going to be like Excel spreadsheets, which is totally toil for me. It's not going to be like that. You will be working, but it'll be working that is good, full of purpose, full of life, and also even full of rest. There will be worship as we get on our knees and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There will be abundance. There will be good food, and the wine is going to be incredible. There will be holiness as we're in perfect relationship with God and this place this new city, it is going to be beautiful. 
teeming with creativity and newness of life. All that was broken, all that was fractured and fallen is going to one day experience restoration and renewal in God's rebuilding project. That is what we're talking about. And here's the thing. As Jesus sits back down on his seat on that Sabbath day and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He inaugurates an age in which this rebuilding project really gets going. That which was once experienced on earth and that which we long for in this renewed earth can actually be made known now. We find ourselves at this interesting intersection of the not yet, but the now. We find ourselves in this moment where we are awaiting the fullness of the kingdom building project and yet we are experiencing a moment where God's kingdom is at hand. It is present amongst us. We can all testify to the reality of that. And God is inviting us to draw the dreams of his future into the reality of the present. And that means that in this moment, that which is broken, that which is fractured and fragmented, it can experience that future in the now. It is going to happen in fullness then, but it's not stopping God from doing it right amongst us. In this present moment, we can experience and we can also demonstrate to the world intimacy and dignity, purpose, worship, abundance, holiness, and beauty. God's original design for humanity can be made known amongst us today. Nothing is hindering God from releasing this into the now, maybe apart from our sense of expectation or imagination. God works in full circles. God's rebuilding project has begun and we are to be those who are to see his restoration project, his renewal, transform people's lives, our families, our communities, our workplaces, our industries, our institutions, allowing his future to be made known now. I know this is kind of bread and butter for us, but are you with me? Great. To live in this way, is going to require us to see the world a little bit differently. It's going to mean that we're going to have to live like prophets. Prophets who are able to reimagine what is possible in the kingdom of God today. Now, we always tend to shy away from the prophets because they were like tough dudes in the Old Testament, like eating locusts, wearing like sheepskin. Whenever I think of the prophets, instantly I think of Rafiki from The Lion King. don't know why, but that's kind of what I think of. And I'm like... You're a bit weird, dude, so I don't want to be like you. But I think we need to become more like prophets. We need to see the world differently. And we need to develop something that Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, talks about as a prophetic imagination. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets having this ability to do two things really, really well. The first thing is to be unsettled by the way things are. And secondly, they're able to be energized by hope. The prophets are those who ache. They're those who are unsettled with how things are, with the hope, yet with the hope that they carry, they're able to call into question what Brueggemann calls, and I love this, the grandiose pretension of the present. Basically, call into question the idea that we're completely living the dream. Because we're not. And yet... The dream that the prophets carry is so much larger and so much more expansive and so much more available than just living the dream or whatever that means. 
Brueggemann puts it like this. The task of prophetic ministry, the task that we are called to, is to nurture, to nourish, and evoke a consciousness and a perception that is alternative to the consciousness and perception of the dominant culture around us. In normal people's language, that is, we are to think differently, think distinctively from the rest of the world. That different way of thinking, that alternative consciousness is to be nurtured. And it serves to energize persons and communities by its promise of another time, the future city, and the situation towards which the community of faith may may move. God's dreams of the future being released into the present. What Brueggemann is saying here is that we have this role to actually bring God's future into the present. To see how alternative God is and to bring his alternative way into our thinking and into our way of life. To think differently. To dream differently. To live out the alternative way of God. Shorthand, the role of the prophet is to live fully in the kingdom of God today. To live wide awake to God's rebuilding, restoration and renewal project. And we need more prophets today. Uh, let me just sidestep for a second. I am not the the world's going to pot, the world is a mess kind of guy. I'm a total optimist. Like I, I really do see that this place is brimming with beauty and with goodness and with donuts and with vinyl records and sweet and salted popcorn all in one packet. It is amazing. The world is a great place to live in. And yet... I want so much more of the kingdom of God amongst us right now. I want as much of it as is available right now, which I reckon is much more than what we think. Because whenever I see the world and I scratch the surface and I get around people and I hear stories of brokenness and sickness and fracturing and unemployment and division and the shaming of others and the need for people to know about the love of a king who is chasing them down. I am unsettled with where we're at. And yet, I am full of hope. Brueggemann goes on to say this, the prophets carry a sense of new realities that can be trusted and relied upon just when the old realities had left us hopeless. It is the task of the prophet to bring into expression, to make known the new realities against the more visible ones of the old order. We are energized not by what we already possess, but get this, by that which is promised. And also some of the most hopeful words that you could hear this week by what is about to be given. We're to be the kind of people who don't walk critically away from situations thinking it's all gone to pot. Actually, we're to be those who move towards them full of hope, full of faith, full of the possibility that can be found in the kingdom of God. We're to live with a prophetic imagination. And so with that, let me ask you a question. What are you dreaming about? We talk about this every Sunday. We have a dream for our city, for this region. That the life of Jesus would come to every person in every part. But what is your dream? What is your dream for this city? For your street? Your workplace? Your family? It's really funny because we place so much emphasis on imagination for our children. And yet now as adults, imagination is really only for escapism, isn't it? It's only for movies or books or watching Bodyguard, which was ridiculously good, by the way, wasn't it? (laughs) I got an amen. Thanks, Lord. But we place so much emphasis on escapism. 
rather than allowing our imagination to provoke concrete change in reality. It's interesting to me that in the kingdom, it seems that the kids get it and we just overcomplicate it all the time. That they get it over there. And sometimes we just kind of lose sight of what's important. As we dream, as we imagine these new realities that Brueggemann talks about, these dreams open us up beyond ourselves and what seems fixed in the environments that we find ourselves in. And as we open ourselves up through our imaginations, it is at that point whenever the Holy Spirit meets us to reveal God's good future and what is also supernaturally available to us today so that we can go and bring into expression the new realities of the kingdom of God. So what are you dreaming about? All of this has been kind of high level, and I get that. And um, So let me try to grind this for us. Emma and I have just moved into a new home on the Belsize Road. I say it's a new home. It was actually built in the 1950s. Um, yesterday, um, I got chatting to a guy who lives two doors down from us. Um, it was his family home. He bought it back off his parents. And our homes were built in the 1950s, and actually our house backs on to Thiefel Barracks. And he was saying that he was able to, as a child, look um, over fields, kind of towards the Moss Road. And he was able to see Stormont and the Cranes um, from our house, which is just a bit mad. So from the 1950s, all of that area has been so built up. Um, So it's an older house. And there's an older lady that lived in it before us. And we love our wee place. We're super excited about it. But it doesn't really feel like home yet. It's got our stuff in it. It kind of feels a little bit like a charity shop. We've just kind of like taken all of our stuff from our old house and put it into this new house. We haven't decorated anything. We've just stripped some walls. And there's the older lady's decor kind of all over the place, like textured wallpaper and also like meringue ceilings, which I've got no clue how I'm going to get those things down. Um, It doesn't quite feel like home yet. And over the next year or so, we're wanting to do some work to make it our home. We had an architect out on Friday, and we're trying to dream about plans. Um, but before we get there, before we actually get to work, we find ourselves talking and dreaming and imagining what will this home be like in the future. We've been imagining what it'll be like whenever we're hosting parties or whenever we're having meals with friends or whenever it's just the two of us just in our own home. We've been walking into empty rooms and have been imagining how can this room reflect the culture of our family and how we do things. What does it look like for this place to be the Bothwells? We've been imagining how the longings and the activity of our family can shape this particular environment so that it won't just be some old lady's house, but it will actually be our home. We've been dreaming, we've been imagining, and from that place, now we're going to get to work. You don't need me to tell you, this place isn't quite home yet. There's a lot of rebuilding restoring and renewing to take place. And yet, this moment is full of the possibility of the kingdom. And we need to be those who develop a prophetic imagination. We need to be those who walk into our office, into our homes, into our communities, into our classrooms. We sense the longings and the aches inside of us. And yet we also recognize the hope that God has promised something will change here. Something will be rebuilt. Something will be renewed. Something will be restored. He is about to do something, and we need to recognize the signs of that. 
Prophetic imagination is not about getting what you want or just imagining something you want, but it is about opening ourselves up to the dreams that line up with what Andy brought last week, who God is and what he is doing. And in the goodness of God, he has gifted us with supernatural abilities to be able to hold his dreams and to hear him really clearly through words of knowledge or prophecy, visions, dreams, or interpretations of dreams, we have this ability to be able to open ourselves up and to hear from him super clearly. We're to be those who dream, who are able to imagine what home the future will be like here. How can the culture of our priestly community and the supernatural activity of God reshape this place right now? If you want to flick on the next slide, Jack. What we need to do is to develop a new way of looking at things, a new lens. It's about developing the art of being able to see people and situations and places and look at them through this kind of a lens, the lens of our future home, and actually be able to see what is available now. To prophetically see people, places, and situations through the lens of what God is like and what he is doing seeing things through the full circle lens of God. Because this stuff is not locked away for the future. It is fully available now. What if instead of just dropping our heads and just carrying on with life, being resigned to the possibility that things will never change, what if instead we opened ourselves up, heard the voice of God, and saw things through the lens of his tangible kingdom? What would my workplace look like through the lens of purpose and abundance in the kingdom of God? What would my family look like through beauty and dignity, through that particular kingdom lens? What would my street look like if we were able to look through this kind of lens of who God is and what he is doing? What would that look like? How would things change? This is what it looks like to see the world differently. And as our imaginations are sparked and our hopes are stirred, we pray. We pray that God's kingdom would come. And yet we also pray, knowing that in the words of Ronald Rollheiser, if you want to flick on to the next slide, Jack, to pray as a Christian demands concrete involvement in trying to bring about what is pleaded for in prayer. That is true prayer. To live as a prophet begins with imagination, but it leads to incarnation. Seeking to live as those who are concretely involved in God's project of rebuilding, of restoration and renewal. There's four questions that I want to flag up just as I come into land. Four questions that are going to help you really root this into your experience, into the reality of your everyday, ordinary lives. And they're going to be the questions that we're going to unpack together in Tribe this week, but It may also be helpful for you just to check in every once in a while with these four questions. So, another upgrade. First question, what is the ache that I feel? Romans says that the whole of creation is groaning in pregnant anticipation of God's new creation. So what are you longing for? What are you groaning for? What are you aching for? What do you sense God is doing in you that he wants to see change in other people's lives? Second question, which is such an insightful question. How do I tend to distract myself from this ache? Prophets are those who don't ignore what they don't like. They can't shift it. They can't shift the ache. But so often we kind of distract ourselves, 
We try to think about things differently. We try to just forget about them and suppress them and try to move on. Third question, what is the kingdom activity that Christ offers to address this ache? Or another way of asking this question is what Andy brought last week. What is God like and what is he doing? What is God's good intention for this ache that I feel? And fourthly, and for me this is the most important question because this is where the rubber hits the road. What practice, what can I actually do to align our ache with God's kingdom vision? What can we actually do about this? How can we fully engage in prayer to be able to engage in this? Putting flesh and skin and bone on this dream. Here's the thing, we're to live as prophets today. Looking through the lens of what God is doing in this lavish year of his abundant favor. And yet, we're also to live as priests. Just real quick, verse 6 says this in Isaiah 61. You'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. The task of a priest is like a mediator. Mediating between heaven and humanity. Drawing God and those around us closer together. And as a royal priesthood, as Peter puts it. As royal citizens carrying the authority of God himself. We are to minister to those around us. Minister to them by declaring his goodness. And by demonstrating the reality of the kingdom amongst us. And we do that as apprentices. Embodying the lifestyle of our great high priest. Jesus. Jesus, who said these words, if you want to flick on to the next slide, very truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. As Jesus drew close to God, experiencing his presence, he was able to see time and time again who God is like and what he is up to. And so from that place, through silence and solitude and prayer, and fasting, he was then able to work his way out to be able to mediate God's rebuilding, restoration, and renewal project in the lives of people. Jesus knew what God was up to, and so with that, he went out and he joined him in the same things, seeing God's kingdom and his intention and his longings tangibly made known in people's lives. So, we're to be priests of our God. Invited into the ministry of mediating heaven and earth. Full of prophetic imagination, we can see what the Father is up to. And as priests, we can join right in, doing the same thing that he's already doing. Because God is going full circle. He is rebuilding, he is restoring, and he is renewing. And so with that, we are to live as prophets, and we're to live as priests. Let's stand together, shall we? Just as we wrap up our gathering this morning, I want to just create just a few moments of space for us to actually practice what we just have talked about. In Tribe this week, you're going to be continuing this conversation, but I wanted to create just a moment for us to be able to um, put this stuff into practice. And I'm going to invite you in the next few minutes to open up your imaginations, to think about situations, people, circumstances, and to look through this kingdom lens of what God is doing and open yourselves up to hear from him. And so often whenever we gather in environments like this, 
and we're th- when we're around the church and connected with the community, um, God speaks to us in tangible ways. He speaks to us through a series of words, through pictures. He releases dreams. He sometimes gives us a aching sense in our gut. He draws really close to us, allows us to see his heart again and hear what he wants to do. And so in the next few moments, um, as we sing these words that are, we've already sung them this morning, but they're full of our future hope, but also reminding us of the hope that is available for us today and for the people around us. And so as we wait and as we sing these words, can I invite you to be really open to hear from God, to hear what his intention is can I invite you to pick a whether it's your family whether it's your street your workplace a situation that you find yourself in if it's helpful to kind of think slightly bigger picture to think about this city or Moira or Jamore or to think about something that God has placed on your heart whether it's design whether it's a fight against injustice and slavery, whether it's the renewal of an institution or a form of industry. And I want you to place yourself in that space in your imagination. To walk that street, to enter into that home, to sit down in front of that person, to enter into your workplace, to see what's going on. Allowing all your senses to be awakened. And as you find yourself there, to begin to imagine what could this be like if the kingdom was fully present here now? What is available here now? And in that moment, just be still and allow God to speak. Let me pray these words and then we'll sing. Eternal creator, thank you for life, breath, and the invitation of Christ to get swept up in your work of rebuilding, restoring, and renewing all things. In this moment, I say yes to your way. I say yes to your dreams. I say yes to the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, guide me in the next few moments. Give me ears to hear your voice. Please speak because your servant is listening.